1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 357, recorded March 6th, 2022. And today we're finishing
0: off the novel trilogy, Star Trek Coda, with uh, Book Three Oblivion's Gate. Yes, by David and Mack. And this one is by David Mack, yeah. There you go.
1: Yeah, so this is the transition. Um, hail, hail the post nemesis expanded universe novels and hello picard and everything in the current star trek tv universe right so this is uh this is the transition laying to rest the uh, existing stuff that can be no more to make way for the new stuff the new tv stuff right my main concern with with them
0: going this route mm-hmm. is that if it slows down the production of the books, right? So Mm -hmm. if now there's too many people that have to, you know, approve a script or something for a novel, because, Oh, we might want to, we might want to tackle that in, in an episode of this Mm -hmm. or that. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that's my only concern about, uh, moving everything to the, you know, the CBS all access continuity. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, we, you know, I mean, right now they're still, they haven't put out a very many uh, Discovery books, but, you know, they were pumping them out pretty quick there for a while. Mm -hmm. So they had Uh, to be in sync with the Discovery TV. Right, those had to, and then then Picard, and then, uh, I mean, I'm hoping there's some Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks and Prodigy books, so. There probably will be. And, and then you could always go back to the old older ones too, and just as long as they fit in the continuity of the CBS All Access universe, right? We could still have a Deep Space Nine novel or two.
1: Nothing would stop it. You just have to keep in sync with the um, with basically all the video stuff, right? In one form or another,
0: right. So this was all this 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 trilogy was a big wrap up of all the book series is is mm-hmm. that uh, they've had in the last 20 years post nemesis. Um, if I was a fan, I mean, I am a fan, but if I would have really been reading all the book series is mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I would really lean towards this. Um, either enterprise, right, because enterprise is hardly mentioned at all. But uh, but if I was a big fan of Voyager, which I know a lot of people who are just fans of Voyager and they, you know, the other ones are just like, eh, I like them okay, but Voyager's my, my cup of tea.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but if you were a fan of Voyager and those books and then you're reading this to get the closure of the Voyager novels, well, you are going to be disappointed because they don't mention any of that Voyager stuff in these books. Aside from B'Elanna and, uh, Tom. B'Elanna and Tom being in the first... Uh, the first book? F- the first or
1: second book. No, they were in the second book, too. I think they were both. Uh, but, yeah, once... But once, Very little. Yeah, once they got away um, on the Aventine, and and made it clear they weren't going to use the Enterprise, um, that's the last time you saw those two. And then Tuvok's in this one quite a bit, but yep. he's a Titan character exactly. now, so... Exactly. Right. It's not really quite the same. And there's some lip service given to Janeway, but... She's never in it. So, right, right. Mentioned from time to time, but really not much. Right. So that yeah, was one true. of
0: the things that I thought I thought this book, you know, because like you said, the first book was very heavy into next gen. And then the second book was still heavy in next gen, but it brought in a lot of Deep Space Nine characters. Right. So I was really expecting book three to bring in a lot of Voyager characters. And that way you have a closure of all three book series Right. And that just never happened in this book.
1: No. Well, they had to... Yeah. In the end, they had to decide. You know, I mean, because they shoehorn a lot of characters from a lot of franchises into this. Yeah. I mean, you see pop- people popping up all the time. And sometimes they don't stick around long, but it's like, oh, I know who they are. So they'll pop... But <laughs> usually, like, in the parallel universes, they'll pop up... Um Uh, And I've got some comments about some of them, Um, and I'm sure you do too. So they they did a lot to try to uh, give some time in the sun to an awful lot of characters, but yeah, in something like this, there's always going to be not enough for somebody. And unfortunately, Enterprise was so long ago, um, it was hard to work them in.
0: Yeah, I wasn't expecting anything from Enterprise in there. Exactly,
1: right. But I was expecting some Voyager stuff. And I was yeah, some Voyager didn't... would have been would have made sense. Come That's on, right. Harry Kim, at least one of the most popular characters they had.
0: Bring oh, Harry so in. <laughs>
1: anyway. all right. Well, do you
0: uh, want to do our little brief synopsis? Uh...
1: Yeah. So I I volunteered to do the synopsis, um, and and it's not going to be that terribly long, but. You know, there. As I as I reread the book to do my synopsis, because I first read it, listened to it, because I listened to the audiobook, book, um, and got the whole thing through, and it's like as I'm listening to it, it's like, oh boy, there's an awful lot of detail here. How am I ever going to synopsisize this thing? And then uh, then as I was listening again and and worked on the synopsis, I kind of recognized it was kind of broken up into I think five different sections. No, oh, actually a little bit more, uh, seven different sections. But some sections are a bit bigger than others. Um, so let me just go ahead and just launch into it. And then I'm just going to say hey, what so the sections... i sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay,
0: cut, when you say it's sections, you're, you're doing your own sections, not... Uh, yeah, these are not chapters. Part one, part
1: two, and part no. three in the, in the book itself. Exactly. So I'm saying this is, okay. this, this is how I see the narrative being broken up. Oh, and before I jump into that, let me just quickly say um, David Mack is the author. Robert Petkoff is the narrator who does an awesome Picard. Um, he's just, he does great impressions about a lot, for a lot of characters, some better than others. Um, and this is considered part of the Next Gen series of books, at least Audible considers that. And I assume that's the same thing as the published books. And uh, it was released November 30th, 2021, uh, Simon & Schuster Audio. Okay. So here's the sections that I see. The first section of the novel is Assault on Davidian HQ. So uh, Donovan and I both talked about this and when we were first reading it and things. It's like, odd beginning. So the bottom line is you're just thrown right in the middle of an assault where uh, Picard and Sisko are leading a team of you know, Starfleet heroes as they're making a brave last stand against the Davidians as they're apparently raiding some kind of Davidian facility and trying to do something uh, with their uh, chronoton core or something. They're trying to reprogram something, and that's the big thing. Uh, Worf's already dead before the salt happened. Uh, you know, Data's trying to reprogram the Davidian reactor. Geordi uh, is feeding information to Data from some other location. And I, I don't recall whether they actually said where he was. You'll find out later. Um, Data's in the back of the head or back of the neck and he falls. Anyway, the bottom line is everybody dies and Picard fails. So it was like, oh, great. So the assault failed. And wouldn't that be the end of the book, you'd think? Well, uh, anyway, so then, then they move on from that odd way to start the movie and, and now it seems like we're in the right continuity. So uh, I call this one, well, actually they say in the book, they say two days before the end. And then they start with the narrative, which is basically um, Sisko is in command of Defiant and he's got Picard on there and a lot of other uh, of the heroes. And um, basically they're, in the, they're hiding out in the Badlands from Riker and um, they're figuring out their next move. And, um, bottom line is, um, Bashir went, Bashir goes ahead and says, Hey, you know, I've got history with, I, I know someone that can help us, (laughs) but you won't like it. So it turns out that Bashir in the section 31 novels had, uh, had a relationship, spent some time in the mirror universe, and he had a quantum communicator which allowed him to communicate over to the mirror universe, which apparently had transitioned successfully from the Ruthless Terran Empire into the more benevolent uh, galactic Commonwealth. So they were able to um, work with them and basically uh, the Commonwealth uh, gave them uh, shelter. Said, yeah, come on across. You know, uh, chips and beer will be on the table. So they come across and they meet doppelgangers of some of themselves um, uh, in the Galactic Commonwealth. And the first ship that contacts them after they come across is captained by none other than Luke Picard, who is in the uh, Jaunt Ship Enterprise, uh, which is, doesn't look anything like our normal enterprises because it's based on roughly uh, Vulcan designs, um, uh, ship designs. Um, and then, oddly enough, his first uh, uh, his uh, first officer is Kalar, who is, of course, Worf's dead wife in in our universe. So, anyway, so they're talking to the to the to the Galactic Commonwealth folks, and uh, there's another group of people within the Galactic Commonwealth called the Memory Omega. Okay, so. Turns out that those were the people that are the real power in the Commonwealth that were able to depose the Terran Empire and also bring forward and promote uh, technology in the transition to create the Commonwealth. Anyway, so our heroes are working with them to come up with a way to figure out what's going on, what's truly going on with the Davidians' uh, sudden ability to be able to uh, consume entire realities and figure out a way to defeat them. So the next section I call what's really going on and the plan. So this section of the book really is just um, Wesley and data and Geordi using a um, memory omega technology called a quantum window. And by Wesley, using this quantum window, they're able to figure out what's really going on. You know, how, is the, how are the Davidians able to do all these things? And then after they knew that, then they had uh, some painful, a painful reality to accept and get used to and then figure out a plan to defeat the Davidians. So this is where the real meat of the book is, I believe and then uh, that plan they come up with, that basically the rest of the book is all about the execution of that plan to uh, defeat the Vidians. Now, before I go on to the be, uh, to to more interesting things, uh, the execution of the thing, I want to be able to just take a little time to explain what the heck is really going on here because it's a pretty important plot point and up until now we don't fully understand. So... Okay, so I'm going to try to be quick about this. The Davidians did not cause the dimensional instabilities, but they are taking advantage of them. So that's one of the first things I think Jordy says. Um, What caused the instabilities was the Earth-based Borg's attack on the Enterprise E with a chroniton beam as the ship returned from Earth's past where they stopped the Borg from retroactively assimilating the Earth. So basically this is uh, First Contact, the movie First Contact. So if you remember when the Enterprise-E at the end, of the end of the movie just magically was able to leave the past and enter back into the future, we assume, um, it was a very short bit of that movie. Um, but apparently when they went back to their own timeline, um, the, the assimilated Earth of that other timeline was able to attack the Enterprise, and that Borg attack uh, did not have the intended effect because the Enterprise-E was able to get back to its normal dimension. However, uh, the fact that that attack happened with some kind of chroniton beam uh, fra- caused a, a fracture that created two timelines in addition to the prime timeline. So the prime timeline is basically everything we know and love from the next-gen TV show and all the movies uh, that we know and love. Okay, so one of the timelines that was created was a parallel reality to the prime timeline that was consistent with the Borg assimilation of Earth. And that is being called, quote, the Borg timeline. The other timeline is an unstable parallel timeline, um, which is where all of the characters in this book have existed since the Enterprise-E returned from Earth's past, past victorious over the Borg. Okay, so this unstable timeline, through its instabilities, spawned more timelines that are even more unstable. Um, so it's these additional, even more unstable timelines that the Davidians have been feeding on like sharks on chum throughout this entire trilogy of books. Um, also, one of these... Okay. Um, let, let me just also say that one of these ti- these unstable timelines that so the uh, so the second unstable timeline that I just talked about actually has a entwined parallel dimension, which is the mirror universe dimension that the Terran ump- Empire was in, and then they were replaced by the Galactic Commonwealth. So those two dimensions are tied together in the same timeline. So, um, so so. But, okay, so at this point, the Davidians are running out of unstable timelines to consume and they are being, and they're becoming strong enough to consume the stable timelines, including the prime timeline um, that the unstable timeline chum was spawned from. So the big thing is <laughs> our heroes are part of an unstable timeline that is going to go away and there's not a damn thing they can do about it. But what they can do is they can form a plan to defeat the Davidians, destroy them, and stop them from being able to transition to praying on the original timeline uh, that we all know and love. So that's basically what the heroes do. They know they're screwed, so now they're going to go ahead and do everything they can to stop the Davidians from continuing and, and even preying on their parent Prime timeline. So, okay, so that was a lot of detail, and I just want to go over one more little chunk of detail, then this, this is all going to go a lot faster. Okay, so what is, what is the plan to save the parent timeline? Uh, it is complicated. It is full of technobabble. And I'm going to try to do this as fast as I can without being too confusing. Okay, so they got one team that travels to the Borg timeline and on uh, and they and once they get there on Borg, they go to Borg occupied Earth and they stop the chronoton beam from being fired at Enterprise E and therefore avoid the creation of the unstable timelines. Now you'd think that might be enough, but oh no, that would make it too easy. <clears throat> so once they're able to get there and deposit data and lol and Bashir to guard the control room where the chroniton beam is operated from and basically st- stop any Borg from getting into that control room. Most of the rest of the team get back on Defiant and they next travel to the Davidians' base of operations located <clears throat> somewhere in intertime. And then they coordinate with the me- the members left behind in the Borg uh, timeline, that at exactly the right, pl- right time, they're feeding each other uh, information using uh, f- quantum communicators to initiate a temporal recursion at the same time that the uh, Borg, t- Borg uh, attack is stopped. Okay, so those are two spokes of the hub. There's a third one, of course, to keep things interesting. So a third team that includes Vedicira in the Commonwealth's dimension will need to enter the Bajoran Wormhole, which still exists in that dimension. You remember it was destroyed in in the other dimension, uh, in the second book, with the Orb of Time. So she's got to be able to enter the Wormhole with the Orb of Time at the same time as the other two teams are doing their thing. So... Somehow, what Kira is doing is going to stabilize the thingamajiggy that's happening across timelines, and the Davidians it, it, that's happening in the Davidians uh, evil layer. So, um, right, and then uh, these three events have to happen about the same time before the Davidians can execute their final death blow to the two dimensions in the parent unstable timeline. So that's the mirror universe and then the normal uh, expanded universe. universe. Uh, And of course, finally, (laughs) our heroes need to convince Memory Omega and the Commonwealth to help them to execute this plan or it just can't happen. Um, Another important point while all this is going on, uh, on the Titan, Riker has gone bonkers, and he takes complete control over the ship and throws uh, Captain Vale in a prison cell um, as he continues in his uh, Ahab-like hunt for the White Whale uh, defiant. So, all that's going on at the same time. Now, the next section is Divide and Conquer, and that's pretty much the execution of the plan. So, I just mentioned the plan before, so they're executing it. Um... Another thing to mention during the execution of the plan is eventually Deanna and the others are successful in ousting Riker from power on the Titan, and then they get the extra-dimensional version of Riker out of Riker's head, and now Will returns to his normal uh, good-guy self, and he sets about finding Picard and assisting him in any way he can find. So... Um, And also notice that other than using that Starfleet armada he pulled together to hunt for the Defiant, he only takes uh, the Titan on his suicide mission to help Picard. Okay, so the bottom line is they execute the plan. Titan goes in to help them to reinforce Picard and his team on what they're doing, and everybody dies. But they are successful in stopping the Davidians. And then, uh, and now we are treated to the next section, which is, these are your lives, Jean-Luc Picard. So for a good chunk of the book, we get to see in the final nanoseconds of consciousness, Picard experiences his many lives across the unstable timelines before they all end. And so we're treated to a whole bunch of little mini stories of different versions of Picard. So there's Archaeologist Picard, who wonders if he made a mistake not joining Starfleet. There's Misfit Child Picard with an explorer's heart who can't fit into his father's Vintner world. There's Wimpy Science Officer Picard, passed over for promotions countless times, and he is quite better over it. Um, I think we saw this version of Picard in the TNG episode Tapestry, or a very similar version. Um... Deathbed Picard, who is on Luna inside of the Starfleet, I guess home for old officers. And he's calling out for Beverly and Renee, uh, you know, his wife and child. And the doctors are telling him, you never had a wife or child. You've never been married. And then uh, he's suffering from aromatic syndrome and calling out for Riker, Geordi, and Data, who at this point are all long dead. Great very positive. Uh, new Daddy Picard holding his new poor son, René. Cadet Picard who finds his limits and pushes beyond them by winning the Academy Marathon. Blah, blah, blah. Lots of, these, lots of these things. Which finally ends at Chateau Picard where he's walking among the vine rows with number one at his side. Of course, that's the dog. Um, and Picard finds forever in this one moment as Oblivion takes him into its embrace so that's the end of Picard bye bye or at least that version of Picard um, they insert a cool little tweet which I or quote which I never heard this before but it was, it was apparently Leonard Nimoy's last tweet uh, in 2015 and it said a life is like a garden perfect moments can be had but not preserved except in memory LLAP so oh that's sad Okay, finally, the last bit of it is um, is the author. The, is this the author of, of all these tomes? Uh, we visit Benny Russell, the 1930s science fiction writer who can't sell his stories, but, um, but, may, but may, he may indeed have written this book and indeed all of the stories of a bright future worth living because he knows in his heart it does exist. So he finishes his current novel, last page, and puts it all together in the manuscript and begins writing his next story about these great heroes, um, which basically is a summary of how uh, Picard, first episode of Picard season one begins, um, where he's pondering his his ex-Starfleet career and the moment when it all went terribly wrong. And then uh, the end. That's it. Sorry, there's a lot of detail there, but... That's the book. It it was a big, giant book, so... And there was a lot of details that happened, and believe me, I skipped a ton of detail. (laughs) Yeah, so uh,
0: I don't know if we did it on the the episode or it was just when we were Mm chit-chatting at some point, but I told you from the very beginning that I did not want it to end with uh, oh, these are all just stories written by Benny, and, <laughs> and 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 then that's exactly what they did, and I'm like, well, I mean, I, I guess it's a fitting end, but I really wanted something that, that was different than something than I could have they, come up with. Than what they did in, in DS9? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so basically, he's been writing for the last twenty years all of this one possible future, and then he's finished with that one, and he's going to write about the same characters, but if events went slightly different. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it was kind of good, but again, I was just like, I was a little, a little disappointed that that was, that was how it ended.
1: Yeah. Well, they're carrying but, forwards a lot of ideas from the TV shows. So sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think this one had the emotional impact as the first two books
1: did. Did you have any of those moments? Well, I know I had an emotional moment with the uh, Leonard Nimoy quote, and I just right, had it right. again when I just the read the real it. world, the real world uh, quote. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I, I guess not. Um, I think I would have had even more emotional response in the first one if I, if I was more familiar with the characters. Sure. Because there were a lot of custom characters <clears throat> that only existed in the Expanded Universe novels that they killed off. And then uh, Esri. And Esri. Okay, Esri. Yeah. And Esri. But, right. yeah. Yeah. Seeing Esri go, uh, when I was first realizing that's what they were saying, they're going to sacrifice Esri, I thought, oh my gosh, that, that was bad. Uh, right, But then, <laughs> by the end of this book, everybody's dead.
0: <laughs> right. And one of the things in this book, they, they all knew they were dead because all their stars and stuff were already, like, some were exploding by accelerating time, mm-hmm. some were yes. reverting back to a previous time and and imploding. So, I mean, the whole universe was was screwed and everybody yep. knew it. So yep. th- that was why they didn't, you know, they didn't mind too terribly much sacrificing themselves for the CBS All Access universe to survive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when uh, Cisco first hears, oh, by the way, your entire life and your universe is part of an unstable copy of the real timeline mm-hmm. and you're going to end. He was, he was fighting against the idea of, uh, <laughs> you know, what the card wanted to do. Sure. So.
0: Yeah, but I think once all the stars started blinking out, everybody was like, "Oh, all right, we're screwed anyway." So. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Might as well go out helping other people. Right. Because that's what we do. That's what Starfleet does. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, in that in that first book, like you said, I I wasn't invested in all the people that died in that one, mm. so I I didn't find it all that that. Uh, that heartbreaking, and then in the second book, when oh, they were yeah. killing off like Nog and um O'Brien, exactly. I mean, especially the O'Brien part. O'Brien Man, was tough. I, <laughs> I remember just <laughs> driving somewhere, and I was like telling my wife what was going on in the book, and then I started getting choked up, and I'm like <laughs> this is so stupid yeah it's a it's a fictional character and i'm getting choked up that he just died exactly uh, just trying to explain it to my wife that uh that he, that he that's how they killed him off in this continuity yep <clears throat> but I, I never had that in this book and and you know and, and everybody died in this one so it's just yeah. like <laughs> i don't know what was different i mean even when we started it we knew how it was all going to end with with this universe ending but uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was just too much, too much death in this one that it just kind of became numb to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like uh, Cisco got shot in the chest at least twice. Oh my god! And it was
0: so gruesome with his like guts hanging out and stuff. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs>
1: wow, you're really
0: describing what that looks like. Yeah.
1: And uh, Bashir had a pretty. I, I like how Bashir punched his ticket. Right. That was pretty cool. Now him again graphically. You know, so he had like the side of his body blown out or something. Oh yeah, no, no, he was the one that was so graphic. Yeah, yeah, that right. Cisco yeah. was graphic, but Bashir was more graphic. Right, right. But in the end, he was able to find the uh, find the willpower and everything to uh, go out and you know embrace the Borg and start to be assimilated, and then he pulled a ripcord on his. Uh, what explosive vests or something? He had explosives in his in his tactical vest or something, and just blows right. the heck out of a, a lot of Borg. So I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. No, nobody goes out like a chump. I mean, yeah. they they all everybody does what they're you know everybody has noble sacrifices.
1: Yeah. How about Worf, Kalar, and Alexander? So they all end up dying. Falling off the edge of that control platform or something onto basically a pile of dead nagas, but they all went out fighting and they right. all went together as a family, so yeah, that was good yeah, yeah i did like I did like she
0: became the the surrogate mom i mean it was basically the same story as uh mirror um mirror jake's wife um uh, mom. In oh, the Deep Space okay. Nine episodes, where they brought in the Mirror Mom, and right. she was kind of a surrogate m- mother for both Cisco and Jake. I mean, yeah. so it was kind of the same situation here with
1: mm-hmm.
0: with Bilar, but uh, but yeah, it still worked. I liked it.
1: Yeah. Um. Did you notice um, who was the Prime Minister of the Galactic Commonwealth?
0: No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember. He
1: wasn't in it long. But when uh, Spock was trying to make his pitch, and by the way... Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that scene. No, I didn't catch it. Who who was it? His name was Eddington. Do you remember Eddington? Uh Uh-oh, no. Okay, so Eddington is uh, the former security officer on DS9 that was introduced and butting heads with... uh, Odo for a little bit. bit. Yeah. And then as, as it progressed and he looked like he was a new character, you know, written a new regular, uh, he's the guy that what turned out to be a traitor, and ended up being part of the Maquis. Hmm. Remember that guy? Yeah. 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 I remember, I know you're talking about now. Yeah. And then that, and then that whole thing eventually led to Cisco basically saying, I'm going to irradiate your whole colony. (laughs) <laughs> your 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 colony of Maquis people mm-hmm. on that planet. So he was going. Cisco was breaking bad. What he was and and in the end, Eddington gave himself up. So Picard or not Picard. Uh, so Cisco didn't do it. Right. But you don't know for sure that Cisco wouldn't have. Right. Uh, no, I did not catch that. That was supposed to be him. Well, I assume it's the same name. I mean, it's the same. Right. I assume it's the same Eddington. Makes sense. Anyway.
0: But and he was probably introduced in one of those Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe books. Oh. Hmm.
1: Yes, that's very possible. That's very possible.
0: Which yeah. I know that Dave, David Mack did write a lot of those like mm-hmm. Section 31 books, so that would there make sense that he would bring that guy in. There you go. And I did like how the Mirror Universe treated Spock, you know. Mm-hmm. In one hand, they like, oh, this is, this is our... Uh, our great leader come back. And mm-hmm. then on the other hand, they're like,
1: I don't really like what he's saying. So maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> he's
0: just a mirror universe guy. Yeah.
1: We, we don't really have to, to give him all of our ships to help with whatever the heck he's talking about. Right. We want our ships to be able to, uh, what? Rearrange the jet chairs on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, right. and, and even they didn't, I mean, they they bought
0: in faster than you know, obviously Rikers and the and our Prime Federation, but uh, they they took some convincing. I think a few of their stars had
1: to blink out before they're like, oh, maybe exactly. So basically, it was never the government of the Commonwealth that told those ships to do what they did. It was the captains of those uh, those John ships, right? That uh, followed who, uh, to follow, uh, Luke Picard. On that. Well, it
0: wasn't uh, really Luke Picard. It was, um, oh man, what's her name? Kailani? No, she wasn't that, there. Uh, what is the Savic? Savic? No, yeah, Savic. Oh, Savic. Well, okay, yeah. so yeah, isn't she the oh, one that's, that kind
1: of arranged all that behind that, the scenes? That's a good thing to mention too. So Savic is the head of uh, Memory Omega, right? So that's something I didn't mention. It's kind of like the Section Thirty-One of the Mirror Universe, kind of. Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of. A- Although that, I mean, in theory, Omega uh, was supposed to be formed with scientists, and um, and it turns out more than just scientists because they were involved in the insurrection against the um, against the uh, Terran Empire. But yeah, so Savik pops up. Again, so that's great that they were able to work Savik in. So, but, but still, I mean, Savik was on board with the ships doing that, but she did not want to override what the Commonwealth said. So she was refraining. So mm-hmm. you're saying in the end uh, Savik went against what she was saying and, and just ordered the ships? Uh, over the wishes no, no, of I the Commonwealth?
0: I don't think she ordered them. I okay. think she just pointed out, you know, that it doesn't, you know, that they needed to do it. Yeah, she supported based on on her, yeah, her speech or whatever. They the captains chose on their own to either do it, help or not.
1: That's yeah, the way I, I, I agree could. with. Yeah, but yes. So and she helped. Like, she helped the captains in their decisions, but she right. was not in. Yeah, it wasn't. Like she it wasn't. wasn't all those, all those cap, the ships and the captains were all under control of the Commonwealth, not Memory Omega, right? Right. Okay, well, whatever. So the main point is, you know, Spock got his chance to stand up before the, uh, the Commonwealth's, uh, what, what uh, Senate or whatever. And he made his big dramatic speech. And like you were just saying a few minutes ago. They were like, oh, at the beginning of the speech, it's like, oh, look, our great leader's back. And, as, and by the end, they, nah, nah, yeah, like they're, you they like, like you said.
0: tomatoes at him and, so
1: I, and that was kind of cool because, you know, what you were expecting was, hey, this is Spock. You know, Spock's going to be able to, you know, make the great grand appeal for logic and everybody's going to fall in line. No. Right. And I kind of liked that. I did too. I liked it a lot. They didn't, wanna, they didn't make it too
0: easy. Because it's very true with with you know real life politics, you know. <laughs> exactly. If your guy goes up there and starts talking, you're like, "Yeah, my guy's up there." And then, as soon as they say something you don't like, you're like, "Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I agree with everything he says." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I thought I thought that was I thought that was pretty fitting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but I did like I did, and I haven't read all of the mirror universe books in the new continuity that led Mm -hmm. up to this but i did like this version of jean-luc picard where he's it sounds like he was just like some dude they picked up and he wasn't he's not like you know there's no it's not like the mirror universe comics that we're reading now where Mm -hmm. you know he was captain of the stargazer and now he's captain of the stolen enterprise and all this stuff it's like he was just some Dude, that
1: they picked well, up. And I don't think like, he was oh. just a dude, I, but I think he was more like a scientist or something. Right, he? right, right. Yeah, he wasn't a military but guy at all. He wasn't a, exactly right. So he was more like the archaeologist Picard. Uh, although I don't know that he was an archaeologist. Maybe he was. I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah. So he had to grow. I mean, he became captain. And he lent he he leaned a lot on Kalar, um, as he was Android figuring out. Seems like both both of them helped him a lot. Oh, Deanna. Did you say? Yeah. Right. Yeah, Wait, that's another one. It's so Deanna was part of the enterprise, the comp, the Commonwealth Enterprises crew. So that was cool. But you didn't really know that as much until it was kind of further into it. Right. So right. Kalar was the first officer and then she went off to, uh, to join the, the, um, the assault team with Picard and, and Cisco and stuff. And uh, and then like his confidant was gone, so Luke Picard was kind of like, and then he started leaning on uh, Deanna. His Deanna's the security officer. Yeah, right. Okay, which is not which goes against typecasting, doesn't it? <laughs> it's the Mirror Universe, exactly.
0: <laughs> I did rewatch all the Mirror Universe episodes uh, since we've been reading these, and. Okay. Uh, the mirror universe, the last mirror universe episode of Deep Space Nine, uh they have uh Vic Fontaine show up and he's he's not a he's he's a real person and he gets killed and then Rom's like Wow the mirror universe really is different
1: <laughs> <laughs> And that's all that's all they had to say. <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, I I did not remember that at all. Cool. Yeah. So. Well, I, I just think it's so cool that you took what was going on in the mirror universe, which the last thing you saw was Kirk leaving evil Spock, you know, with the beard and everything, all the tools he had to in an appeal to change, to, to change the empire. And, and then you see in these later uh, 90s TV shows, uh, you know, that story played out. And I think that was pretty cool, right? Or playing out further, and then the books took it even farther.
0: I mean, they—they yeah, exactly.
1: they, they didn't get to the Commonwealth, right? In in Deep Space Nine, they hadn't gotten no, had there. No, 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 no. Right. They were still fighting against the the Romulans and um, Klingons. Okay. 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 So I just think that's great that that narrative thread started in Taws was carried through so far.
2: Right.
0: Pretty cool. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. No, and that, and that's again why I kind of
0: said that you hate to see that it ends is this, mm-hmm. this this continuity, but yeah. I totally get what, why, but uh, it is, I mean, if you've been following it all this time, totally you can see why you're sad. Yeah. Why you would be sad. Why you would be sad. So, um, can I... Point out my biggest pet peeve of this book? Sure. Please. And and it maybe I'm misremembering, but but I don't think I am. Um in this book, um Kira, prime Kira, is on the Defiant in the mirror universe, right? Which was the one that Smiley and them built Mm-mm. and had Cisco come over and help them with <clears throat> and all that stuff. But uh so she's on that ship and she's like it's just like being on my Defiant, but uh, it's not my Defiant, so I'm going to start calling it Defiant 2. Huh? <laughs> every you time, texted me this. I yeah. Think. Every time she called it Defiant 2, I'm like, it should be Defiant 3 from your point of view, because in Season 7 of Deep Space Nine, the Defiant is destroyed. Uh-huh. And instead of you know not having a Defiant for the last couple of episodes of the show... They instead had another Defiant-class ship, The uh, I think it was the Apollo or something like that, and they just renamed it Defiant. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it always kind of bothered me because they don't call it the Defiant A. Mm-hmm. It's just USS Defiant, same registry number, pretend like that's the way it's always been. And that's
1: completely wrong. They have right. to do something to distinguish and, the ships. They're different ships. In my mind, Yes. Yes. And then and then so
0: then throughout all these books and stuff, when they call it the defiant, when they're calling it the defiant, in my mind, it's like, I I know that that's really the second defiant. Uh And then here's Kira. Oh, I'm going to call this one the second defiant because it's not my defiant. And I'm like, either neither is the one that you were just on in the other (laughs) universe. That's not your defiant either. I know you've been on it for twenty years, so technically, I could see why you would call that one your defiant. But that's still the second one. That's still yeah. defiant too, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yep. Or defiant A. Yes, but yes. So do, do you want to expand your rant? <laughs>
0: well, I, I just, I just don't get why Enterprise it seems is the only one that ha- gets the same registry number ABCDEFG uh, treatment, whereas. You know, we've now seen Stargazer and Picard. Just new registry number. Hell, even the Defiant itself was, you know, the name of a Constitution-class ship in Taz, and now mm-hmm. it's a Defiant-class ship. And yep. then they just give it a new registry number in the same name. Uh, so, yeah, I really don't know why Enterprise and now, I guess, Voyager in Discovery uh, is getting the uh, the J treatment.
1: Yeah, so it's it's inconsistent. Right. So you've got... Ships with the same registry number that are both both have the same name, so that's Defiant, right? Defiant right. one and two, yeah. right? Yeah. And right. then you've got, um, in in the first episode of season uh, two of Picard, we are treated to a new Stargazer. Now that has a different registry number, so the same name, no ABC at the end. But we've got a different registry number, at least, because right. the number's way higher than yeah, whatever, higher. whatever the original one was, 1501 or whatever it was, 18 or something. Um, and then you've got Voyager J, which is in the thousand year in the future version of uh, Discovery. Yep. Right. Very inconsistent. And then, I mean...
0: I, uh, this is one of my nitpicks as far as discovery goes is mm-hmm. everything's so dark
2: mm.
0: that you don't ever get those beautiful like lingering shots of the ships and stuff like you yeah. did in the old old shows, sure, but supposedly the discovery now with starting with season um four yeah it's the discovery a so supposedly it has a somewhere on the reg- on the registry now which which I've never actually seen on screen because. They don't linger on it too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as like the Eagle Moss models and stuff like mm-hmm. that, they're they're calling that the Discovery A. Yeah. So um, yeah, you're right. And, and and for me, I'm like, well, that's just the refit because it's still technically the same Discovery that came to the future. They just kitted mm-hmm. it out with uh, with new tech,
1: right? Exactly. When the so, original Enterprise was was reworked, it was still the Enterprise. It exactly. had that major upgrade. Or refit, so, major yeah.
0: refit. So it's just uh, it's just annoys me that it's so inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we got to call it something different, and I totally get it because I mean, it's you know a thousand years in the future, it's it should be a new ship, but it's still supposed to be the same ship just with new new insides. Because now yeah. they don't even use wires, according to uh, Stimmicks.
1: Cow. Oh. Um. Oh what I, I missed that. So they don't use wires. They don't use cabling. They just different electronic components talk to each other over uh, radio wires. What? Who knows? Whatever they wanted
0: to be. Okay. Well, you remember the end of the what was the end of season uh, three when the 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 Orion woman got pushed into the quote unquote uh, memory core of Discovery and it was like all like liquidy all over her and stuff yeah, like that. what the heck that? She was, like, that? getting pulled into it. Yeah, so yeah, whatever no that, is, what that, that, that
1: is, that kind of technology. That's it. Uh,
0: <laughs> that's what's throughout the whole ship, I guess. I don't know. It's a
1: thousand years in the future. We can make anything up. Yeah. Hmm. Well. Anyways. Um, yes. It, so, something about the major upgrades that Discovery had um, is... Right how fast they happened how long did it take to do the Enterprise refit uh, in the, you know that led up to the movie right. it took a while um, but <laughs> in Discovery as they go a thousand years in the future and they finally have a home uh, with the new Starfleet they, they upgrade it and like ping! you're all done yeah. Now, now, now your now your nacelles float away from the rest of the ship. It's not physically attached, and you've got all these holographic controls everywhere, and and you've got awesome, amazing shields, and you must have amazing phasers, and blah 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 blah. Yep. Yep. And you did all yep. that how fast? Yeah. Wow. Super fast. Super fast. Well, this is and the future, it, it, after all.
0: And it brought up all of the all of the crew and we are ranting about something other than this book but (laughs) but also what bothers me is like stem still acts like he's he knows what he's talking about when i'm like he should be a thousand years out of date as far as all this tech and yet he's like i'm I'm still the smartest person you know around and you're like really you're how could you you would be like i mean i keep thinking of scotty and relics I mean, exactly. he was only out of out of pocket for like 50 years and he felt right. like a you know like he was so behind we're yeah, talking
1: about a thousand years is it stemmets a scientist though primarily isn't he really more of a scientist than an engineer although he seems to know about all attack right yeah but still even the science i mean can you a thousand years ago you plunk somebody into a uh, modern day, uh, <laughs> they'd have no clue about what was going on. Yeah, I
0: yeah. agree with you. I agree yeah, with not you. even a thousand years. Just think, take a hundred years. Yeah. Take somebody yeah. from World War One and stick them into, uh, you know, a in front jet. of you. Be like, yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, oh, I well. agree. I agree. Whatever.
1: All right, enough, nit- enough nitpicks about Nit-picking. stuff. Other than this book. Yeah. So, um, any other little nuances to bring up oh I got one Um, I was very I thought it was very cool where we find out that it is actually Wesley and his abilities that the Davidians are able to tap to give their Nagas and I guess their whoever those other guys are uh, the ability to phase in and out of uh, reality so that was pretty cool yeah, but why Wesley instead of any of the other
0: uh, travelers? I mean, I know that we yeah. we love Wesley, but uh, yeah.
1: Well, supposedly the other travelers are dead. Supposedly, yeah, supposedly of them. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah, I did like that. I did like that. Uh,
0: but, you know, he's been they've been keeping him alive because they knew that they're going to need his future self in order to make all the Nagas. Yeah. Uh, you know that whole tiny whiny
1: thing. I like. I like that. Yeah. That is very tiny whiny. So at the end of the book, you see the birth of the Nagas getting their abilities, which apparently includes time travel, because Wesley can do time traveling, too, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so then they, they take these abilities and they go back in time and they did all of the attacks that we have seen for the past three books. Right. Apparently. Which is another thing that's very interesting. Um, they keep they keep re- referencing in multiple places how this has happened many many times. So this is all played out many many times. So remember the the beginning of the book where there's an assault on the, the Davidian HQ and their quantum core or whatever whatever. Oh right right it, right. And we're all freaked out. I mean, you and I were texting about it. What? 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 What's going on here? Um, but that was basically a sneak preview of the final, you know, assault and the uh, defeat of the Daphidians. But that was just an example of many attempts that we tried to do over and over again. Right. And it was when Riker got his marvels back and got the the wigged out parallel universe Riker out of his head. That he was able to say, this has happened dozens of, or this has happened a lot before. Maybe an infinite number of times, who knows. Right. Um, Yeah, so each one of those universes that they snuffed
0: out, I mean, there's a good number of them that were close enough to ours that they tried
1: to do the same thing, but it never worked. Exactly. Yeah, I like So Well, I like it, but it's like, oh my God. You guys are doing. You, you guys are doing more than timey wimey. You're doing all this <laughs> interdimensional timeline, timeline wimey stuff too. And it's like, oh boy, this is this is difficult to follow.
0: <laughs> yeah, kept you on your toes. Yeah, yeah. The old the old Wesley,
1: that show that was at Davidian HQ. I mean, so right. he was just hanging around. Yeah, just waiting. So this is another parallel version of Wesley, incredibly old, who helps Wesley, uh, in fact, after he has his powers cloned, and releases Wesley to uh, do his final heroic act. So. Right, yeah.
0: So he, he sacrifices himself just to buy more time for... Yep. And I guess maybe that was the turning point, because none of the other Wesleys had sacrificed themselves. Because, I mean, obviously, old Wesley was still there. Mm-hmm. He knew, he was like, mm-hmm. don't make the same mistake I did. Right. You know, and that's what gave him the the idea of, of doing it. So, right. maybe that was the turning point that yeah. Wesley was like, ah, "I'm going to push myself out of existence just to give Ricard a little bit more time to get." That's Wesley. a good
1: point. That's a good point. So, it was Wesley's Wesley's sacrifice that could have made all the difference? Well, and right. but also Riker. So, wasn't Riker coming in with the Defiant? Because we didn't see Riker at all in uh, in that first assault. At the beginning right. of his book, so right. Riker true. was able to um, beam in an assault team to back up uh, Picard's team that were losing people quickly. Yeah, so that made a big now, difference too. Now that
0: that part was sad. That part I will admit, little 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 misty eyed reading the uh, you know where, where yeah. Riker's on the bridge fighting those Nagas and then he's and then. Troy's on the ship on the with ship, with the uh, Tasha, and Tasha's like, "Are we going to be okay?" And and Troy's like, "All I can do is lie to her." And she yeah. says, "Yes, we're everything will be okay." And then they die, and then yep. R- Riker no feels that they died. Right. Oh, that part that part was the saddest part of the book for sure. That was sad.
1: That was very sad.
0: And that he just knew he's like, "Oh, they're gone."
1: Yep. Like, oh my god. Yep. <laughs> And so why didn't he bring more ships with him? He could have. Yeah, he had a whole fleet. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No. I guess that would made it too easy. Yeah, it made it too many more people just today. Right. So um, one of the things I did like, and 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 it's going to be kind of stupid, but I liked it. Um, that you know this book's called Coda. Uh-huh. This is the Coda trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this book, they they come up with an acronym that 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 is what coda stands for and they call it the inverse corrective distribution action nah <laughs> in the present dimension so I didn't catch that yeah yeah they came up with a, an ac- they came up with a, a thing that they were doing and they then they started calling it coda and I was like oh that's pretty cute <laughs> so um yeah that that made me happy and it it um it reminded me of, again, I hate bringing up other franchises, but in the uh, DC TV universe, you know, they, they came out with novels and comics and stuff, just like every other ex- expanded universe, serious types do. But over time, the books pulled away from what was going on in the story right i mean like they would introduce a character in the books and then years later that character would show up in the in the tv show but with no reference to the adventures in the books right
2: mm-hmm.
0: um so anyway so then the books started like referencing the dissimilarities the and they started calling the uh, the tv universe timeline they started calling it the trans-multiversal version universe. (laughs) And then they still it's basically the TV universe. Okay. Transmutational version Ah! universe. (laughs) (laughs) So I always thought that was so funny. And then here they kind of did the same thing by you know, the series is called CODA so now we have to have something that that stands for CODA. Uh, I liked it.
1: It puts smiles on my face every time they said it. It puts a smile on my face. Yes. And of course, Coda in music is a passage that brings a piece or a movement to an end. Right. Which is very fitting for these three books. Yes, it is. So that's probably where they came with the name originally, and then they came up with the acronym later. Right. Yeah, kind of like in that first
0: episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when when they rattle off what S.H.I.E.L.D. stands for, yeah. and then that agent's like, and they're like, "What? what do you think that means? And he's like... I think somebody really wanted the acronym shield. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: yes exactly. You start with you start with the acronym as a whole and then work your way backwards. Yes. Right. And sometimes it's mighty forced. Yes. Like this one I thought was a little forced, but I yes. still liked it. How about UNCLE? The man from Uncle
0: what does UNCLE stand for?
1: United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. Ooh. How long did they work on that one?
0: Yeah, that's probably why they came up with Uncle. Because otherwise that doesn't make sense.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Why couldn't it be man from aunt?
1: Exactly, <laughs> Or a second cousin. Why or a man from <laughs> grandpa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't quite strike the same cool tone. That's true, that's true. Thank Uncles you. are always the coolest. They are, because they, yeah. uh, they get to let you stay up late. <laughs> All the authority, but none of the, none of the responsibility. One well, of the best things, my, uh, one of the most memorable things my, my uncle did for me, my Uncle George did for me, is mm-hmm. I guess he asked me if I wanted something, and I said, I want a boomerang. And he got me a boomerang. (laughs) Oh. I never could get it to do anything, but... (laughs) But you had one. I had a boomerang. Damn straight. That's pretty cool. Okay. (laughs) Okay, anything else?
0: I don't have anything else. Do you? Probably
1: not. Probably not. I thoroughly enjoyed the three books. I think it was great that they did this, as we said before, as opposed to just pulling the plug as other franchises might have done, right. So uh, it's cool they did something.
0: I did think it was a little weird how they ended it with, you know, we're we're destroying all the timelines, and mm-hmm. then they end it with him visiting all those timelines, and some of them we knew, like the tapestry one. I mean, yeah. You said you think that's the same one. It is the same one because yeah. some of the exact dialogue. His, you know, in the book, he's talking about. I just talked to Deanna and
1: exactly and Riker Riker
0: and ten forward and that and that exact scene had just happened in the in the story. So, um, so yeah, it was weird that they did that. I mean, and I'm wondering, are they doing that to kind of imply that though this story, this universe is over, but it could always somewhere, some way, it could still be out there somewhere. I don't know.
1: Or is it just that? That particular version of Picard, which is so different from the Picard we've always known, was so poignant um, that he was worthwhile bringing back again. I don't know. Right. It could have been just a story thing. Right. Yeah. Because I always thought, I, I always, that version of Picard was fascinating. Because, you right. know, Starfleet in general, I mean, everybody's perfect, Right. Everybody's smart, and they're motivated, and everybody's pretty much perfect. Uh, Barkley wasn't, so he was a fresh a breath of fresh air. Uh, and then they have this version of, of Picard, who is basically a slacker. Kind of. He's well, kind he of wasn't a really a slacker. He just didn't know. Didn't, well, uh, okay, so maybe slacker wasn't the right term. But the main okay. point is, he was just... He was he, content with where he was. He, he, well, he was along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't wasn't really overly motivated. Um, it seemed, uh, but he still did his work. He did what was asked of him, and and not much more. Right, and he thought that still deserved him moving up through the ranks, but it didn't. So, and
0: anyway. it did seem it always seemed weird too because you never see old people in the crew, aside you know aside from the captain, <laughs> in that one. Yeah, the captain was the oldest person
1: in that ship by far. Yeah, and that's why I like some of the other one some of the other franchises that in the books that is where they started having some older <laughs> like crew members. Right. So they were rare, but they would pop up from time to time.
0: Yeah, I always thought it was weird that uh, in Taz that those that that group stayed together all through the movies and stuff. It always kind of bothered me that as they're getting older and and further up in their careers but you they're know, always still on the ship kind of I pathetic. get it because you need to see you want them in the movie but if you really think about their career trajectory it it's, yeah. doesn't look good on their part It's a
1: similar thing for Riker why Riker stayed around so long but yeah. even more so in those Taz movies yeah. but I think, I think it's at some point they just tried to make the general statement is they saved the universe so many times they can do whatever they want
0: <laughs> right
1: which I think is part of the reason they left Riker on there, even after, obviously, him demonstrating what a great commander he was in the uh, Best of Both Worlds episodes. Right. Well, yeah.
0: Can't have two ships going where no man has gone before if he got his own ship.
1: <laughs> Actually, they had all <laughs> kinds of ships going where no man has gone before. But
0: Yeah, but you can't have them both doing it on the same show episode. No, no. <laughs>
1: No, 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 no. Obviously they did what they did. And, and for the same reason that Riker stayed along so long. That's why why Sulu was I mean, it took him until what was it, the sixth movie? <laughs> he finally he was on his own <laughs> ship.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: and then everybody yeah. else
0: was still there. Well, I mean, and I always I always throw out Star Trek 2. I mean, at least at least Chekhov did leave the ship for a little he bit, but he ended up coming back. So.
1: Oh, yeah. That was good.
0: Anyways, but uh, but yeah, then I like the uh, that they tied in Picard um, at the end.
1: Well, the TV series, you mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, they had to pretty much do that. I mean, I mean, they're basically that was a commercial for the TV show. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. If you have, if you're not already invested, uh, maybe you should go go sign up for exactly. All Did, you you don't remember this exact part where <laughs> Picard's looking back on his former career in Starfleet and wondering where it all went or thinking about where it all went wrong. Oh, well, <laughs> you should go and get uh Paramount plus.
0: Paramount plus. Yeah. I, I, as far as like a story structure, um, we read this book before, st- uh, inter- uh, season two of Picard started. Mm-hmm. But then when we're, I was watching the first episode of Picard this season, mm-hmm. it starts off just like this book in the thick of it. Everybody's dying. And then, then the title card comes up two days earlier, you know, yeah. very, very similar to how this book started where yeah. you're just like, what the heck's going on?
1: Exactly. That, I, I kind of like that. I mean, yeah. there, there were, there's a, uh, the Trek culture guys and gals do the yeah. ups and downs of different episodes. Right. So I did not watch the one that they did, but, um, I was thinking to myself, eh, that's an up. And that's a down. And there's another up. And there's another down. So it was a good episode of the first season. It was a good episode. It had its ups and downs. Right. I felt uncomfortable. Well, there's no way anybody's going to hear this until like months from now. So I probably shouldn't be worried about spoilers, but. Sure. I was just uncomfortable about that. Laris and uh, Picard scene at the beginning.
0: Oh, really? A lot of people are like sad that uh, it didn't go anywhere.
1: Well, and I'm sure it will eventually but i was just a little kind of comfortable with it it's like oh well, my i guess she's God. so much younger well no we uh, it's just i just thought oh my how old is patrick stewart and how uh-huh. old is the character now i mean it's nice that you can find love when you're a hundred or what how old is picard supposed to be by this point yeah
0: whatever i'm sure
1: um and that's nice and everything but it's like uh and and did they age up laris a little bit I don't think so. Did she look a little different this in that first episode?
0: It's I like her teeth
1: were not quite as bright and shiny as it used to be, or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think I think well, they I, did a little bit, a little bit to make it a little bit more plausible. Well, the part I thought
0: was weird is that uh, her husband's dead or something. Yeah, he just like died. The, the 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 male Romulan. Yeah, he died. He, he was alive when Picard left to become a robot. I but then Now she's dead. <laughs> yes, isn't that rather convenient? Yeah, I'm wondering if it's in one of the books or the, that audio play. Maybe, maybe that's what the audio book's about. I don't know. I need, to, I need to listen to that audio drama. No Man's Land.
1: Oh, the one that that's the one that more focuses on Seven of Nine and Raffi? Uh, I think so, yeah. But,
0: but maybe they throw it in there. I don't know. Hmm?
1: I want some answers. It seems quite convenient. Right. But, of course, that gave Picard, you know, woman trouble. That's perfect. You got to talk to your bartender about that. We'll move in, yeah. Yeah. uh,
0: The only thing I can think of is just just call Beverly. (laughs) That's your
1: soulmate. Where is she? Yeah, where is she? You should get back together with her if she's alive. Yeah. Anyway. Um, So
0: my last comparison of this book to Picard season two is Mm -hmm. – They don't bring Picard's mother into this book at all. It really focuses on the brother and the dad. Mm -hmm. But I could kind of see that young Picard with that brother and dad being the same little boy Picard that's in season one or season two. I agree. So I'm kind of wondering if that part of the book was also a nod to uh, what we're going to see in season two of his of his youth.
1: It's probably it's probably consistent. I mean, well, they. I mean, because none of that they, in the
0: book had anything to do with anything we've ever seen in in Star Trek: The Next Generation. So, I was like, the only place they could be pulling this from is is Picard. And then when I then, because again, read the book first, and then I was watching the episode, and I'm like, ah, yeah, this is this must be where they were getting it from, to kind of.
1: Or was this always there. kind of? the sketched backstory of Picard's family situation. There's probably details they never thought about in detail right. before, but I mean, you know, he had pro- I mean, you saw in family, the episode family, uh, sure. Uh, Picard and his brother had big problems sure. uh, with each other. Um, yeah, but not like, I mean, the, his dad seemed like a real booty head. <laughs> well, he was a booby head or whatever. Whatever term you're using, Uh, but yeah, but it was uh, Picard was a dreamer, and you know he liked to play with the ships and stuff, and and the father was obviously very reality based. Right, (laughs) and we're vintners, and we are, you know, this is the farm, and get with the program, and uh, the brother, what Robert? Is that a Robert? um, Yeah, he was right. He was right in line with what dad wanted. So, oops. That's true. And it sounds like Mom, from Picard, Mom and Mom and Picard had their own little relationship. Right. Yeah, I'm curious to see where they go
0: with it in this yeah. season. Yeah. Well, it depends how much more we see of it. Exactly, that's my point. I mean, is it, I'm assuming it is, because the stained glass is part of the opening credits, so I'm assuming yeah. it's going to come back all right kid well i don't have anything else on this book
1: how about you i got nothing else man what's next will you tell me (laughs) i think we were talking about doing uh catching up with one of our comic books mini series that we somehow neglected to do so the space between issues one to three so this was a idw of course
0: yeah i think it might might have been their first uh next generation miniseries and somehow we missed it
1: ah there you, well there you go
0: i don't know who who was in charge of scheduling but uh you are the architect of this podcast. No, no no i said i don't know who it was <laughs> i'm not gonna point any fingers <laughs>
1: exactly especially if the finger points back to me but the good thing is this is this is great so it's an unexpected pleasure. Look at this. I mean, we want yeah, to be—we exactly. want to be able to claim victory, but hey, we got some extra comics to do.
0: I will admit, when when we thought we were done, I was a little bummed out. I was like, ah, probably never going to read old co- old Star Trek comic books again. Yeah,
1: well,
0: but uh, but now we get to, so yes, it's do. all good. Yes, we do. Okay. All right then. Well, thanks to everybody for joining, and hope you enjoyed these novels—the Star Trek
1: novel review exactly and this yeah go ahead no I'm glad you joined us for this because I I think this is a really this is a real cool trilogy and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did yep I did (laughs) alright by definition (laughs) (laughs) okay see you next time later Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.